Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today for all the truth of that song. What an amazing reality, amen? So good to be with you guys. This is church. If you're visiting today, this is kind of who we are. We believe that Jesus is everything. We sing to him, we worship him, we pray to him, and he's the one that saves us from our sins. And so if you're looking for a place to belong, this is church. Welcome to church. It's not as bad as the world says it is. This is who we are. Look around. This is the family of God. This is the body of Christ, imperfect as we are. This is the place we gather together. If you're visiting today, we're glad you're here. Text hello to that number on the screen anytime. We'd love to get to know you. Online community, Bloomington campus today. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm with you in spirit today, and Shanoa, and Hersher, and all the other places watching online. And uh, if you're watching online, people like Tony and Val from, from Clown, from the UK. Charlie Good. I don't know what I'm doing. Elvira from Benson and Tony from Clinton and Jan from Lakeview, Arkansas and K-Mac from Washington. God bless you all, everybody online today. I wanna give you a quick reminder, this uh, Friday, Lord willing, uh, we're starting the second season of the Apologia podcast. We're ta talking, talking about something very important, mental health in the church. And so if you guys can give a listen to that or maybe somebody you know needs to listen to that, uh, go ahead and let them know uh, that's coming this Friday. Well, here's the question that many of us have asked, how much longer? How much longer? It's a question that kind of gives away the fact that we're in a situation we don't like, that we're bored, the journey is long, and we want it to be over. Most of the times this happens when our kids are young, or maybe when you're young, or maybe now as a 58-year-old kid, I sometimes say, are we there yet? Are we almost there? And the answer is the same as it was 15 minutes earlier. We're almost there. It's just a little bit longer. It's the impatience of a road trip. And many times, I believe, living in, in Babylon feels like a long road trip. <laughs> and you're just asking the question, God, how much longer? In fact, that's the question that's in the Bible over and over again. Uh, the question is, how long, O oh Lord? It's all through the Psalms. When you get to the book of Revelation, do you know this? In, in the book of Revelation, uh, John sees a vision of the people who have died and gone ahead of us, and they're looking down on earth, and they're saying to God, God, how long, how long, oh Lord, is it gonna be before you deliver your people? People, And that's something that we wonder today, and that brings us to the fearless in Babylon word for us today that my sisters have already shared with you today. Here it is, the, you're not gonna like it, the word is patience. You don't say this to your kids on a long trip. Hey, how much longer? Be patient. You just make something up. Try to trick them into thinking it's sooner than it really is. But when we come to asking God how long, fearless in Babylon, the way that we're going to survive Babylon is we're going to have to have some patience. Following Jesus has always been, for 1,900 years, just a little bit longer, just a little bit more uh, further. Just, we're almost there. We're, we're going to get there. Just wait. John actually describes it this way in the book of Revelation 1.9. He says that we are partners in tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance. And I believe what I want to share with you today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is it's going to take patient endurance to get through Babylon. Well, we've talked about, you know, having resolved not to eat what Babylon's serving. We've talked about praying to survive in Babylon. We've talked about, you know, not bowing down and, uh, and being committed to not serving any other gods. But today we come to patience. And, uh, and I just wanna give you this verse because this is gonna kind of guide us with the wording here from Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. It's gonna be up there on your screen. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. 
those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The endurance, this is why Revelation was written, so we could get a glimpse of heaven and say, this is coming, don't give up, hang, hang in there in Babylon. Patient endurance. And so that brings us to the story today. If you have your Bibles, I hope your Bibles are open in Bloomington, open in Shanoa, open wherever you're watching us today. Open your Bibles and let's, let's get into this story in Daniel 5. It's another great story. It's a, it's a lesson about patient endurance from Daniel, who is now an 80-year-old man, been in Babylon a long time. And uh, the story begins in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. I'll tell it to you and we'll pick up reading uh, somewhere around uh, verse 21. But it begins with this king named Belshazzar. He's followed Nebuchadnezzar and some other kings, and, and now he's on the throne in Babylon, and he decides he's going to throw this huge party. He invites a 1,000 of his officials and his army officers and all the people. It's a huge, just imagine a huge palace, throne room, party room, and he's called a 1,000 of his officials. He's called all his wives, plural, and he's called all of his concubines, and they are drinking. It's a drinking party. Probably sex involved there as well because he probably brought his concubines there for entertainment, okay? So they're just partying. And at, at some point, he's become so inebriated, this King Belshazzar, that he says, you know what? I think my father Nebuchadnezzar, he stole, he brought back from captivity some of the gold vessels from the house of God, the people of Judah. Bring those out. Let's have wine in those sacred vessels. And he begins to drink, and he's drinking. The Bible says, actually, in Daniel 5.1, that he's drinking in front of everybody. He's probably you know, lost it. He's had too much to drink. But then in the middle of this party that he's throwing and he's having, a hand appears. <laughs> That'll shut down a party fast. And uh, this hand starts writing words on the wall. And the Bible tells us that Belshazzar is literally shaking. He cannot, he cannot figure, he knows something supernatural is happening it's not the wine. It's not that he's drunk. It's, he's not seeing that kind of vision. He's seen something supernatural, and he wants to know what it means. So he calls in again all of his wise men, all his enchanters, all the magi, and they, they say to him, hey, we see the words, but we just don't know what this means, even though he offers them a bunch of stuff, even to uh, third place in his kingdom. And then uh, the queen mother says, uh, by the way, this is all in here. Don't take my word for it. Go read it later today. The queen mother comes and says, there's this guy named Daniel. He's been exiled here for a long time. And in him is the spirit of the gods. That's how she phrased it. Bring him in. He'll tell you, the, tell you what's going on. And so um, Daniel comes in and uh, Belshazzar says, can you tell me this, what this thing is? And uh, Daniel starts with a sermon. He says, you know what? You should have learned the lesson that your father Nebuchadnezzar learned. God drove him into the desert, kind of helped him lose his mind so he could humble him and you didn't pay attention. And that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, the last part. He sent your father Nebuchadnezzar out into the wilderness until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. 
Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found one thing. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command that Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today about our time in Babylon. God, would you come now by the power of your Holy Spirit? I, I can't do what I'm getting ready to ask you to do. I need you to convict us. I need you to encourage us. I need you to strengthen our resolve as we live in the Babylon that's, that's our current lives. And I pray that you, by the power of your word, as I lift up the, your son, Jesus, because all written word Bible points to living word, Jesus. And I pray that you help me lift him high. And as I do, I pray that you draw people uh, to him. And uh, I just pray that we will see a revival just from this, this one word of God today that you would change us. We ask all this in your son's name, amen. The writing is on the wall. You ever heard that expression? In fact, this week we're, we're in our preaching team meeting. There are, there are a ton of rock and roll artists who have sung about the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall is an expression that means, hey, something bad is getting ready to happen. It's already determined. And for Belshazzar, the writing literally is on the wall. It's not that he's had way too much to drink. It's what God wrote for him. This is a message from God, and it's a message for Belshazzar, but it's a reminder for us. So today we're gonna look at this message. It's very important. This in English is what was written on the wall, these four words. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Let's imagine you're sitting at your house, and a hand just appears and writes these four words on the wall you're gonna to wanna to know what they mean. Thankfully, Daniel comes along and he, he explains, these, are Arab, these words were written in Aramaic and he explains the, uh, what these words are all about. It's not some drunken illusion. These four words held a real message from God. This writing on the wall is for Belshazzar specifically, but it's for those of us who live in Babylon, even Daniel. And so we're just gonna go through it today and we're gonna see what it means and hopefully you'll be encouraged to be patient and endure because of these words. The first word, numbered, means this. We can patiently endure because the days are numbered. Guys, here's why you can patiently endure until Jesus comes to take us home or you go there first to meet him. We can patiently endure in Babylon because the days are numbered. Belshazzar's days are numbered. And this is really cool about this story from Daniel chapter five. We have a lot of historical evidence of this because there are other uh, extra biblical writings that are also historical that come from Babylon that tell us we know what this day is. You know what day it is? It's October 539 BC. Well, how do you know that? Because that's the day that the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon, overtook the city, and the Babylonian empire ends. Literally on the day that God is writing the hand on the wall, numbered, numbered, his days are numbered, and the kingdom is numbered. It's his last day, Mene, Mene, the days are numbered. In fact, history tells us that the Mede and Persian army had just defeated the Babylonians about 
40 miles to the north, and they now were surrounding the city of Babylon and had it completely under siege. And Nebuchadnezzar says, let's throw a party because he trusted in the walls and the defenses of his great city. But he was wrong. Before the party was over, his city was overthrown and he was dead. His days were numbered. And how does this idea of days being numbered help me patiently endure? Well, the lifespan of this ancient king isn't the only days that God has numbered. In God's knowledge and sovereignty over all things in the earth and everything human, he knows the numbers of all days. You need to hear this today. He knows the, name, uh, he knows the number of everybody's day. Daniel, as I said, was 80 years old. He's been in Babylon for 67 years. I want to show you something really cool because I always, always tell you to, to read in between. There's the white spaces in between. The white space in between chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Daniel is 23 years. <laughs> That's how he's kind of roll with this, this um, narrative. And Daniel is now 67 years in exile. But what does Daniel know about the exile? He knows the prophecies of Jeremiah, I think those scriptures are there in your notes if you want to follow along here or online. He's been here for 67 years, but the prophecies of Jeremiah said the exile is going to last how long? 70 years. So Daniel, at very best, is sitting somewhere far from the palace, far from this party, going, three more years, I'm going to tolerate this nonsense. But what he knows is that God has a day. He doesn't know how it's going to play out. He doesn't know how this kingdom's going to end. He doesn't know how the people are going to get back from exile because, frankly, 67 years in, it doesn't look very hopeful. The king is throwing a drunken party. doesn't look like God's in control. Somebody needs to hear that today. Whatever you're going through today may not look like God's in control, but he is. When that party started, Belshazzar looked like he was in control. But God was in control. He had numbered the days he knew the days of, of Belshazzar. He knew the days of Daniel. He knew the days of the exile that were numbered. The Bible says this, and somebody needs to hear this today. The word says that our days are numbered. When Job reflects on his life in Job 14, he says, all my days have been determined. In Psalm 139, it says that God has written every one of our days in his book before we were even born. How long are you going to live? I don't know. God knows. He's got a plan. And if Belshazzar would have taken this more seriously, maybe, maybe he would have been praying instead of partying. Maybe he would have been uh, seeking God instead of mocking God with God's vessels. Guys, we need to pay attention to this because if this is true, that means all of our days are numbered. That's why Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What's so wise about numbering your days is knowing that you're not, you don't have unlimited ones. I know if you're in here and you're in your 20s or your students, you're younger than that, you're going, I got a long life ahead of me. Maybe. I'm not trying to be morbid today. I'm just saying that wisdom comes from saying every day is numbered. Therefore, this day is the most important day. And if we begin to live like that, guys, as Christians, numbered, numbered. We can patiently endure, but we have to remember that our days and the days of this world and its injustices along with your pain has an end date. Your pain has an end date. Your struggle has an end date. Justice is coming, and it's going to be over, and God has a plan. He knows the, the number of that day. This leads me back again to Love McLean County. I just, I, it, the, the, what we're doing, praying for our lost friends and, and trying to befriend them and invite them into our world, it's, it's urgent because we don't know the days of our friends and our family. So today's the day. 
that if you're here visiting today and somebody invited you because they love Jesus Christ, hey, today's your day. We want you to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian today, just, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I do want to be intensely honest. I don't want to be the guy that sits next to you in the airplane and says, hey, if this plane crashed today, do you know where you spend eternity? I don't want to be that hokey, and yet as hokey as it is, it's true. Do you know? Because we don't know what the day of our number is. Belshazzar missed this, but Daniel knew it, and he patiently endured because the days of the exile were numbered. So we come to the second word. The word is weighed. We can patiently endure because justice is coming. That's what this word weighed means. Weighed is a, is a, a term that was used in the, in the marketplace in Daniel's time. Uh, it is a word that had to do with the scales that you would weigh something out produce. Maybe you're in the marketplace, you're buying some figs or you're buying some dates or something like that, and you put them on one side of the scales and then you start measuring out shekels on the other side. By the way, the word tekel that we translate uh, uh, as, uh, what is it, the word's gone, as fearless, it's down here in my notes, never mind. As we translate as weighed, the word tekel is related to the word shekel. So it's a money word. And you guys know how this works. You, you have the scales and you have your produce on one side and you keep weighing shekels on the other side until it weighs three shekels. That's how much you get. It's also a visual in these days and for all of uh, the, the judicial kind of places in our, in our culture, it's a, it's a picture of justice, the scales of justice. And, and this is what is happening with the scales of justice. Belshazzar has been found wanting he doesn't have enough to pay. What is he, what's God talking about? He's talking about the scales of righteousness. He puts the righteousness of God on one hand, and on the other hand, here's what Belshazzar is measuring out. He's got arrogance and irreverence and idolatry. Daniel is painting the picture why he's on the wrong side of God's uh, righteousness scales. Look at these, because they're very much like the Babylon that we live in. First of all, he's arrogant. He knew that, um, that what his father went through, but verse 22, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You still are arrogant. You still think that you're the king and you can do whatever you want. The other part of his, of his scale is irreverence. He did something that even his, his uh, father king, who was way more powerful, Nebuchadnezzar, never did. He never brought the sacred vessels of the temple and put them and used them for common things. In fact, history says that most kings wouldn't do this because they were superstitious enough to go, I ain't messing with somebody else's God. But he's so arrogant and he's so irreverent that he's making, and mocking, making fun of and mocking God, the God of the heavens. Belshazzar made the great God of Daniel common. And finally, idolatry. Daniel points out here in verse 23, you're worshiping gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which don't see or hear. They can't hear you. They can't listen to you. They can't deliver to you, deliver you. And I, guys, I believe as I read this passage, I go, that's our Babylon. We live in an arrogant culture, a culture that's focused on us, inward, what we think, what we feel, what we want. In fact, all the messaging on most of the commercials and most of the stuff you buy is, hey, this is about you. You deserve this. You need this. You want this. And we begin to think of ourselves as, yeah, we really are that special. We really do need all this stuff because really, ultimately, it's about us. Our Babylon is irreverent. We, we have no reverence for the holy or the sacred or for the aged or for the, the, you know, the generations that have gone before us. Everything is irreverent. I, you know, I, again, this is just an aside, but I mean, 
we have a coarse language in our culture that's very sexual, where the F word just becomes every part of speech that there is. And we, we, we're irreverent. We don't care about God. And our Babylon is idolatrous. We worship and serve everything. We talked about this last week at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we bow down to and we pay for and we spend time on the things of this world. Guys, these three things, I want you to hear this because we talk about injustice in this culture all the time, but we don't know what the cause of it is. The cause of the injustice in our culture is arrogance and irreverence and idolatry. Because if it's about me and I don't care about God, and it really is, I just want to bow down to whatever makes me happy, then I don't care about you. And then I can be unjust to you, and I can cheat you, and I can abuse you, and I can lie to you, and I can take advantage of my position over you. The injustice of Babylon was based on the king of Babylon and his arrogance and his irreverence and his idolatry, and we live in that kind of world. And guess what? We now live in the Babylon where there's injustice everywhere because of these attitudes, and the question is, what are we supposed to do? Well, just be patient. <laughs> Patiently endure. What are we supposed to do in a world that's unjust, in a world that's throwing a party and getting drunk on and indulging in the appetites of this world? The scales of our world are tipped dangerously against God. What do we do as exiles? Well, the Bible gives us some insight. We're supposed to live justly, so we should not live like that. We should live justly in this world. At its very, very root, um, living justly and bringing justice as much as we can is at the heart of Love McLean County. We're just trying to be with people, see people, and meet their needs. Maybe it's an addiction. We put our arms around them, walk them through. Maybe as many of you today came to church as bringing a bag of some canned goods or some food so we can put in our food pantry. That's bringing justice to this world for people who don't have. Maybe it's some other thing in your life that you can help bring justice to the world. We live justly. We try to bring justice in the world as much as we can, but we need to understand this. Biblically speaking and historically speaking, as much as you and I try to bring justice in our world and we try to live justly, like Daniel, we still find ourselves with injustice prevailing. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. And we cry out to God and we ask the question that's a surprising prayer. We ask God on behalf of this culture, how long? In fact, I believe most of us in here have playlists that we listen to all the time, different styles of music. But I also believe the Old Testament had a playlist. Daniel knew this playlist. It was from the Psalms. Did you know how many songs are in the Old Testament that ask the question, how long, O oh Lord, will this injustice continue? So I put together uh, Babylon's how long playlist for you today. But this is, these are the songs, these are authentic songs and the soul cries of the people of God who are stuck in the injustice of Babylon and they're crying out to God. Did Daniel sing these songs? I can't prove that. But he knew them because he's a good Jewish boy. And he may have been singing these songs as he watched Belshazzar trash all of, uh, all of um, uh, Babylon. I almost said Bloomington, but all of Babylon. It's a B word. Here they are. These, this is the playlist. Psalm 6.3, my soul is troubled. How long, O oh Lord, am I going to be in exile and I watch all this stuff around me and my soul is just going to be in turmoil? When God feels far away, anybody ever have God feel far away? Psalm 13, 1 and 2 says, God, you feel far away. How long before I feel close? 
My enemies are closing in, Psalm 35, 17. It feels like all the bad stuff in the world is just surrounding me. And some of you here today feel like everything's closing in on you and you have this song to God. God, how long? My enemies mock God. My enemies in Psalm 74, 10, here's the cry. God, how long are you gonna let people just make fun of you? The wicked succeed. Oh, that's, that's the kicker, isn't it? When we see people who are definitely not following God, sinning, using people, abusing people, abusing their power, and they are succeeding, at least in our eyes. How long, O oh Lord, will the wicked succeed? Psalm 82, 2. How long will God's people suffer? Can we get an amen? <laughs> how, how long are we gonna have to deal with this? How long would good people, people who love Jesus and serve God and are pointed towards heaven, Psalm 90, 13, you're not alone. God's people suffer. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Finally, the wicked brag. How long? Guys, these, these may not seem like prayers to you, but they're soul cry prayers to God. And when we can't change our justice in our world, and we, uh, we can't influence the world by being just in our world, then what we have is a prayer. And what we have is a cry out to God who is watching and has it numbered and he knows and he has a plan. And we say to him, God, would you answer these prayers? How long? These are prayers for justice. Take out your enemies. Take out my enemies. Take away my pain. Give me some strength. How long, O oh Lord? And I think I hear the Lord sometimes as we consider everything in our world and all the stuff that we're going through and the injustices that we face, I hear him saying, just a little longer. It's a little longer. Patiently endure, people of God. Since we're talking about injustice, this is a good time. Since we're talking about injustice and scales, this is a good time to be reminded that we as Christ followers can't ask for justice without considering the scales of justice in our own lives. The truth is, if you put all my sin in your sin, and all the arrogant moments and all the sinful indulgence and all the lust and the greed and the mean words and the wrong actions and, and all the stuff that you and I have done in our lives, if you put them on one side of the scale, then the righteousness that we've done is never gonna make up for it. I know we like to read this story and go, Belshazzar, he's a jerk. Well, Belshazzar is kind of us. He's kind of us because he's just doing life without God and there's nothing he can do to make himself righteous. He's just living out the reality of his world. But here's the good news that I have for you today. All of our sins are in the balance and we have all been found wanting. Belshazzar, you've been found wanting, but so has Mike and so have you. But here's the good news. For Christ, 1 Peter 3:18. for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. That's the good news for you today. The sins of the world were on one side of the scale, but Jesus laid down his cross on the other side of the scale and he tipped the scales of righteousness in our favor. We, we have not been found wanting. Our sins have been weighed, but Jesus' love and his grace and his death and his burial and resurrection outweigh them all by faith in him. If you're here today again and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, he can do this for you today. If you look at your sins and, and you have the scales of injustice weighing against you because of your sin and things people have done to you and the sins of the world that you live in, and you're going, how am I gonna get out of this? The answer is Jesus Christ and his grace. 
And I will keep preaching this as long as I have breath. If just one person today will hear this, Jesus Christ can take your sins away. Because he has. We don't need to be like Belshazzar. And here's the other warning that we have from this. It's good news and bad news. In Revelation 19, it says that Jesus is coming back in judgment and he's coming on a white horse and this time he's not coming as a savior, he's coming as a judge. So if you're wondering when or if all the justices of the world are gonna be taken care of and all the injustices are gonna be punished, that day is coming, and when Jesus comes back, he ain't playing. It's like Belshazzar. Today's the day, and on that day, it's gonna be very, it's gonna to be too late. And the injustice that we've lived with and dealt with our whole lives will finally be defeated. Jesus will return and make everything right. No more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, for all these things have passed away. We can patiently endure because God, who has brought justice through us through his death, will bring justice to this world through his might. And so we endure. And brings us to the last word. The word is divided in English, it's the word parsin and the singular form of that, perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This is the outward look. By the way, the word parsin there can be a play on words because it kind of sounds like the word Persian. So he's saying, hey, divided, guess what? Your kingdom's divided, now it's the Persians' turn. It's the Medes and Persians' turn. God is gonna replace Bel Belshazzar's Babylon with Cyrus the Great, the Mede-Persian Empire, which somehow placed Darius on the kingly throne. You want to say, this is really in intriguing tactically. You can read this in the history books. Uh, while Belshazzar was having a party in his, in his throne room, um, they had for weeks, the, the Medes and the Persians had circled around Babylon and they had for weeks been diverting the Tigris River that flows through the city. And they had lowered the water level of the Tigris through the city of Babylon, and so that the gates that were over the river were now shallow, the water was shallow enough for them just to walk in. Literally, when Belshazzar was having a party, the people of the Mede-Persian army were just walking into the city. And that's kind of a, a picture of how it is with our life. God orchestrated all of that. That's the historical event, but the truth is it was the work of God. Daniel 4.32 says this, the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. In fact, 200 years before this very night, God had prophesied through Isaiah, you can see the scriptures there again in your notes, that I will raise up a man named Cyrus and he will be my vessel. 200 years before Cyrus had the throne, before there was a Mede-Persian army, God said, I'm going to deliver my people and I'm gonna use Cyrus to do it. And God is doing more than working his will in kings and kingdoms. He's working his will in us and through us. Guys, I want you to be encouraged with this word on the screen today. We can patiently endure because God is working his will. His will will happen. It looks like Belshazzar is in charge. It looks like Darius the Mede is in charge. It looks like God's in charge. And wherever you're going through today, here's the two ways that God is going to work in us and through us. I can promise you this from the scriptures. King Darius and King Cyrus didn't usher in a godly nation. They were still arrogant and irreverent and idolatrous. We'll see next week the, the arrogance of one of them. That's a cliffhanger, so you come back. 
But there's two things that I see in, in our lives as we live as Babylonian captivity, uh, exiles. Number one, character. God works the character in our life. The way that we grow in our character to become more Christ-like is to go through the hard times of Babylon. Do I like it? Nope. I'm sure you don't either. But the character of Daniel was refined in 67 years of life so that when he comes in the presence of Belshazzar, he's not saying, hey, can I not eat your food? Hey, do you mind if I don't do this? He is bold and he is strong. He knows who God is. And he says, here's what God is saying to you, Belshazzar. You don't get that kind of character unless you go through Babylon for 67 years. Daniel lived fearless in Babylon because God had helped him grow all the way through. It's the same for us. Romans 5.3 says this, Rejoice, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character. How is God making us more Christ-like and like his son, Jesus Christ? He's using every, every experience we have in Babylon, all the injustices, all the pain, all the sorrow, and he's forming character in us. And he's also working his will in us for salvation of his people. I want you to never forget this. Every story in the Bible points to salvation in Jesus Christ. And Cyrus is a picture of that. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, we find out that moved by God, this pagan king initiates, encourages, and pays for the return of the exiles back to their homeland. He takes them out of exile and brings them home. A powerful king takes people who are in exile and takes them to the promised land. Does that sound familiar? A powerful king, Jesus, by his death and his burial, his resurrection, takes us who are exiled in this Babylon of ours to be with him eternally in glory. That's the work of Jesus Christ. And Cyrus is only a picture of that. God is constantly working salvation all the time. Even when it looks like there's just a new king with a new kingdom and things are just the same. God's going, no, I've got a will and I'm going to work it. It's going to happen. And so we patiently endure. It feels like a long trip, doesn't it? I just imagine how Daniel felt 66 and a half years into exile. Some of us here have lived 66 years. Some of us can only imagine 66 years. Some of us have forgotten how young that was. It's a long time. But in fact, God did accomplish his will. And Daniel did endure. We can ask, there were days where Daniel was in the palace going, how much longer, Father? Are we almost there, God? When are you going to show up and make things right? How long, O oh Lord? And I think the reply to Daniel then and the reply to those of us now are, it won't be long now. Soon. We're almost there. We're getting closer. Hang in there. Until then, may the Spirit help us patiently endure. Amen.